Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message on workplace wellness. Hi, this is Nick Coya with the Portage County Safety Council, and we're out at the Summit County Safety Council 2019 Wellness Conference. We're excited to be here uh, learning about health and wellness, and this afternoon we are joined by Katie Tombaugh from Wellness Collective. Welcome. Thanks. And my partner out of the Canton Service Office, Carrie Gray. Hey, glad to be here. We're excited to have you here, both of you. Um, We're learning about health and wellness and how that impacts the company. Katie, can you tell us a little bit about what you do with Wellness Collective? Sure. So I started Wellness Collective about 12 years ago, which I'm really proud of that, with the vision and mission to transform businesses and lives through health and happiness. And so what that means is that we are specifically focused on workplace wellness, bringing wellness education and experiences into the workday. And I fully believe that everyone wins, the business wins, the people win, and it's really rewarding work for me and my team. You know, it's exciting that we're seeing conferences like this and we're becoming more engaged with health and wellness because as a state workers' comp insurance agency, we've identified health and wellness as, as a major concern. We find that healthy workers are injured less. They return to work faster. So this really has become a big thing. However, health and wellness sometimes has a stigma to it. And there's really a lot of constraints and obstacles that companies face or have a fear of. Absolutely. So- Katie, from your experience, what are some of those obstacles or constraints that companies often cite as a reason not to even get involved with health and wellness? Sure. I hear plenty of barriers or obstacles, uh, some of which are related to resources like time. I would say money is potentially number one. People have this misunderstanding that they think they need to have this giant wellness budget to create change and impact people, and that's just not true. There is a time scarcity as well. So, you know, our workday is too busy. We, we don't have time for this. And I would argue you should make time for this. I also hear people saying things like, well, our workplace, our workday is just really unlike any other organization. And I'll say, tell me more about that. And they'll say, well, we're all over the place or we have 12-hour days or 24-7 operations. And I assure you, I have heard it all. Yes, you have a unique workday and a unique population and unique norms and things But there's a lot of this. There are a lot of organizations trying to figure out how do we reach every shift? How do we scale regardless of location if somebody's virtual or work from home or they're in headquarters? Um, So everybody is navigating this. It's not a unique pain point. And there is quite a bit we can still do. So really the first step as we work, look at trying to implement a health and wellness program is we almost, it's like a safety committee. We need to find a chairman. We need to find a champion of the company to start the process. Mm -hmm. What I spoke about today was eliciting support and strategy from leadership. You will hear people say time and time again, you need leadership buy-in, leadership buy-in, leadership buy-in. Absolutely. However, what I see happening is leadership signs the check or approves the budget rather. And it's like, go ahead, go do this thing. I don't see them necessarily coming to events. I don't necessarily see them engaging with the program. I don't see them casting vision. I don't see them talking about it when they're employee facing. I also see people on the committee who have sort of been encouraged to join the committee. And so you end up with a committee of people that don't have a background in health and wellness. They're not especially passionate about it. They are invited to sit on the committee because they serve in a certain function of the business and we need representation from that function in the business. And so what you have is a group of people that are not necessarily super visionary 
or super passionate. And that doesn't lend to awesome excitement and enthusiasm. (laughs) So you get people in a committee meeting and they're kind of talking in circles and nobody's really excited. So I would argue we take a step back. We get leadership participating in a very different way. When I say leadership, I'm talking about CEO and C-suite, but then I also want to engage what I call department heads, whatever that looks like at your organization. So whoever's over IT, HR, accounting, you know, all businesses have similar functions. So let's get these key individuals to the table who are likely to be more visionary, likely to be influential in the organization and help them come on board to co-create a game plan. I believe that when these individuals co-create the game plan, they're going to have a little more skin in the game. They're going to see more value in their team members participating, and we're likely to get a different outcome. I'm all for the wellness champions. I'm all for people coming on board and being the cheerleaders because some of us are better cheerleaders than others. But I do believe that some people are better in that promoter role. Some people are better in the visionary and strategy role. We need all the people, but we need different things fulfilled by these roles. So a health and wellness program is more than just let's eat healthier, let's have an exercise program. It's a culture shift. And that's what we talk a lot, Carrie, about with safety in a company. It's not let's go put a guard on a machine and we're done. It's a culture change. Absolutely. And I thought it was really neat when Katie talked today. It went in line with probably all the different safety podcasts that folks may listen to through you guys. And, you know, safety starts with top management, visible top management leadership. They have to be involved. They have to be invested. They have to have some skin in the game. Then we get to employee involvement. And then we have all the program stuff. And what I do see from a wellness perspective is folks will just jump right into the programming. And you talked a lot about that, how you have to, you know, step back and figure out the visionary side of it. And you had a six P's. If you Mm -hmm. want to talk about that real quick, I thought that was something really neat that I think our listeners here could really gain some insight from. Oh, sure. So the six P's are a model that I've come up with to better serve my clients and help them think through this process. Because as Carrie mentioned, people get excited, which is great, but they just start throwing things at the wall to see what sticks, and they kind of jump to programming. But I would argue we want to think through a few things before we make that programming decision. So the first thing I coach to is purpose. Why are we doing it? Some people are doing it strictly for the numbers game. It's like, whoa, we have really high costs in these said areas, and we need to make a difference there. That's a very different purpose or intention than saying, we're going to do this because it's the right thing to do. Or we're going to do this because, you know, mental health is really a concern for us. We're really at high risk for this, this, and this because of our industry. So you have to get really clear on why you're doing that. And that's going to be a big part of casting the vision. The second thing I talked about is people. Who is the program for? Not only are we looking at industry, but we're looking at job function within your industry. You might have people that are administrative in nature and they sit all day. Right. And there's some risks with that. Correct. You might have people that are in the field. You might have people that are in manufacturing or production or distribution and they get 20,000 steps a day. They don't need a step challenge. (laughs) They need, they need some rest and recovery and cross training and mobility and all the things related to recovery. So we need to look at the people. We need to look at their work day. And I acknowledge that employers want to have a similar benefit for everyone. But I would argue everyone gets the wellness experience. But what that experience looks like will be different depending on your work day. So really, the benefit is overall health for the worker, not specific programs. What I'm hearing you say is that you can't just take a cookie cutter program 
for administrative office staff and then stick it with the floor people Correct. or vice versa, or I can't go to the company down the road who I have a relationship with and say, let me take your program and just plop it in here and make it work. So it has to be specific to the people. Right. So we're in a distribution setting and it might be a shift change. And we all might be gathering in a circle and it's like, all right, here's the, here's the game plan for today. Here's the wellness moment. And it's a five minute experience and it's a teaching moment or it's a new norm that you're going to layer into that shift change. So that's very different than what another part of the business might need or do. Then we shifted to policies and procedures. So we need to look at what people are allowed to do, how much time they have, and where might we need to make some revisions to free up some time for them to engage with the program. Because if you have teams of people with 15-minute breaks, those are sacred. (laughs) They are not going to all of a sudden take that 15-minute break and give it all to the wellness program or the blood drive or whatever is happening that day. So we're looking at maybe some paid time to engage with the wellness program. We're maybe looking at a slightly longer or different lunch experience. We might be looking at a change in dress code. You know, I, I have a group right now where they're working on mobility and it's real tough with what they're wearing. <laughs> so if they had different clothes on, we would maybe get better mobility results. So there's a few things to consider with policy and procedure. And that is a conversation that happens often with HR. And it might be a difficult conversation, but it's worth thinking through. Are so, people set up for success? So you're really looking at thinking outside the box, doing things much differently than you n- ever have. Uh, once again, it's not just a simple, let's put some fruits and vegetables out there. It's let's change our core business model, which effectively changes the culture within the company through those policy updates, which Carrie, I think that's what we do with safety a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets right back to when we talked about selling safety. We're selling wellness. It's not just, oh, here's this one little program. It's it's the whole culture of it. And it makes a really big statement as an employer. Like we care about you so much that we are rewriting the handbook. <laughs> yeah, and I think it does because if I'm just saying, here's your Fitbit and make a walk and write down your numbers, okay, it's a program we're doing. But they say, hey, guess what? We care so much about this. We're going to take additional 15 minutes for lunch every day and we're going to do a group walk around the plant or a group walk around the hike trail that's nearby. Now that that really changes how I feel the company perceives this and it comes back to that culture. Yep. Or we're going to give time. We're going to give you time to learn about certain things, whether it's in a lunch and learn or even doing your own investigation or, you know, looking at some evidence-based information from a medical standpoint, giving folks the time to, to be able to do that. Because we know everybody's busy when they go home too. And wellness is something that, you know, it, it breaches home and work and it's going to impact everything that they do. So you're showing that you care by giving them the opportunity and the time to do it. Absolutely. The fourth P is having a plan. So this is your strategic plan. This is also having a communications plan. And I see groups getting really hung up here like, how do we do this? Our workday is so different and challenging. And I push back and I say, how do you do anything? How do you get people hired? How do you teach them the safety expectations? How do you get them set up in the payroll system? How do you get them opted into their benefits plan? However you already do business, we get to keep doing business that same way. We just use wellness as the content. So there are already things that have proven to work in your systems and operations, and we still use those delivery methods with communication and delivery of programming. So we kind of piggyback off of what already exists. If we know that standing at the beginning of the shift doing toolbox talks doesn't work because people need to get to their machine right away 
and there's a lot of pushback from that. But we found that maybe a digital media source of some sort for that information, a computer, a terminal, a tablet at the at the press or the machine to go over that during the shift is beneficial. We just tie health and wellness right into that. Exactly. Use the same system. Then we finally get to programming. This is where people want to start. But when we get to programming, we make decisions about content. What do we want people to learn? What skills do we want people to have? I think of it as training and development for health and wellness. I say that people don't go to one lunch and learn on stress and get really good at it. You don't master stress in a decade sometimes. So we need to give people ongoing opportunities. So we're going to look at what we want people to learn, what skills and experiences we want them to have. I I really promote highly experiential programming because it's really different to read about doing something versus doing the thing. For instance, I can have you read a case study about meditation or show you some statistics about meditation and how it helps people to rewire their brains for the better. Or we can just do the meditation, right? Like, let's not talk about it. Let's do it. And that can be the biggest tipping point is people go, whoa, I never would have done this on my own, but that was pretty cool. I really liked that. Well, Carrie, you do a lot of training through the Bureau. And what, where do you see the better results? Is it that lecture that you give or is it when we break out some type of activity? Absolutely. It's the activity. And the activity just drives home, you know, what, what you're trying to get folks to understand and to learn. So sometimes you got to do it in multiple ways. You're going to tell them the why, you're going to show them, and then they're, you're going to actually have them do it back with you. And, you know, that same thing is going to work through your wellness program. Definitely supports better learning when it's kinesthetic or experiential. And then proof. There are always people that want to know, is this working? (laughs) And at the end of the day, we all want a successful initiative. Nobody sets out to have something, you know, totally flop. So what does proof look like? Now, that's different by organizations. Some people call it a win if there's cash savings or some type of ROI in that way. Other people call it a win if claims are better or different. And then there are groups that call it a win if people are actually showing up to work and there's no turnover and they come and they're in a better mood or they leave that midday walk or midday movement activity and they're just a more pleasant person to be around. I mean, those are things you can't really measure but make a really big difference. Or is it you have these raving employees who are like, man, I have worked a lot of places, but I have never worked anywhere that cared this much about me staying safe, me staying healthy and happy giving me things for my family to do and enjoy. Like, man, this is a dream job. That's my goal. So those are the goals and we're seeing the results of those goals. Those goals are really made during that planning stage that you talked about earlier. Yeah, but I think it's important. Another way for me to say what I'm trying to say is what does success look like? And I tell you, I ask that question and everybody at the table looks at each other like, whoa, how are we going to measure this? Because people have different ways of measuring things to determine success. It's a, it's a loaded question because you're going to get a lot of different responses. But everybody needs to get aligned so that we know what we're working toward. Yeah, Nick and I talk about this a lot in regards to safety. But studying turnover for years from more of an HR kind of perspective and different things in the city had a background in that. Looking at safety and some of the engagement techniques and, and strategies that people are talking about, that affects turnover is the same exact thing that helps reduce safety issues at work. And it's the same thing with wellness. What you're saying is if you come in, hey, we care about you so much. We're going to bring someone and pay money for this to happen. We're going to give you time at work. The implications are well beyond the just the wellness benefit that we had talked about. There's a turnover issue there. There's probably going to be an improvement in safety. 
Mm-hmm. Reduction in turnover, obviously increasing retention. You're going to have employee morale that's really intangible, really hard to decode and maybe quantify. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, turnover is quantifiable and safety is to some degree. But, you know, but those intangibles are so much more important to have people actually more engaged and join to come to the job and actually enjoy the supervisors. And it becomes just a healthy overall culture that feeds in. It's like what Nick always says. We don't want to add safety or health to what we do. We want to we want to reframe our entire culture around a healthy and safe workplace. It has to become part of the core culture. And so that begs the question then, how do you handle and how do you deal with the people that are late adopters? You know, we talk often about the diffusion of innovation model and you have those people that are on board from the get-go and they're excited and they're knocking down the door to get started, but then you have those laggards and those those late arrivers. What do you do to encourage them and get them to be engaged in this process? Sure. One thing I talked about today is diversifying your programming and your content. Wellness, we can define it a lot of different ways. There's movement or fitness, nutrition, stress, healthcare, mindset, and mental health. There's a lot of different directions we can go. Another part of wellness is community, philanthropy, volunteering, service, feeling like your life is meaningful and purposeful and being really clear on what your impact is. And so my theory is that people will engage with different content. The person who is adverse to going to the gym might be your number one volunteer. And that volunteer, once you build some rapport and trust with them, might say, you know what, I've been overweight my whole life. Will you help me? So how they come to me might be a little different path and we get there eventually But not everyone's going to be your gym rat. Not everyone's going to engage with every part of the program, but we need to give them a variety of ways to engage with the program. And I think that's that's part of the issue with wellness programs because we kind of take the easy way out, don't we? Well, we're going to start a walking program. We're going to get everyone a Fitbit or pedometer, like you said, right? Right. Some kind of thing. And then we just do a mass cookie cutter approach. And then that's going to turn a lot of people off initially. So we're worried about... You know, a lot of times at our safety council, when they talk about wellness, they say, we, we tried that. We couldn't get anyone engaged. No one would participate. Maybe that's the approach. We're not hitting the right angle with the right group of people. Maybe three or four gym rats, like you said, were like, oh, yeah, I can do this. It worked great. And then the whole other group that we're missing. What are some other things on that? Can you elaborate a little bit further? Sure. So I think one way to diversify your programming, and I alluded to this already, is to look at what you're doing from a philanthropy or service perspective as a company, there's likely some organizations that you're already either funding their mission or doing something with them. And so that can come under the wellness initiative. And so that, could again, could be volunteering. One thing I've done at my organization is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving is called Giving Tuesday. And so we all choose a different organization to volunteer with. <coughs> and that that's our new norm is that you get to pick where you want to volunteer. Um, I think we can also give people more ways to gather in community. So whether that's an employee appreciation luncheon or some special event, I find that people get really excited about events because here's the thing. We get to make the workday fun again. Well, and I think, you know, that hits on a, on a whole other topic that we could probably do a second podcast at some point on. And, and I do a lot of speeches on engaging millennials in the workplace. And that's an area that we're finding a struggle with. Employee retention isn't there because work isn't fun. And I get it. We have to make widgets. But isn't it better if we make widgets and have fun at the same time? And the other thing that we see as a big driver of retaining and hiring that millennial generation that's the the majority of the workforce now is they're looking for those volunteering opportunities. 
or finding companies that have that connection with what they believe in. And so if we tie that into the wellness program, I think that just helps spearhead not only wellness, but employee retention and hiring and growth of the company. Absolutely. And right now, when people are looking at job opportunities, they're thinking about, is this mission aligned for me? Where do I fit in? Is this meaningful to me? I do a whole speech or presentation on the science of happiness. And maybe I have a really mundane job. And how do I find joy and happiness and something that really feels good to me about my job when maybe it's a really difficult job? Maybe it's a really unsexy, (laughs) mundane job. You know, how do I show up every day as my best version of myself? And I fully believe that we can help people either to come on board with a purpose that the business function has or to support what brings meaning to their life and helping them to get really clear on that. I think another thing that was really neat you talked about today, and I think it hits way more than wellness, but definitely applies to wellness, is giving people permission to engage. And it's so often folks will sit there, and I was even thinking in the context of a safety council meeting. So many, we all sat through a safety council meeting And at the end, you ask for questions and everybody just stares and there's crickets and there's no, you know, even though you say, hey, I'm asking for questions or I'm trying to, it's still not really permission to engage because the person sitting next to you is sitting there with a zipper over their mouth too. And so from a wellness perspective, what does permission to engage look like and how can you foster that within your company? I hear feedback from employees that they feel they don't have permission to step away from their primary role. Because they're looking to their right and they're looking to their left and Bob and Joe aren't stepping away. I don't want to lose my job. I lose this job. My whole family's at risk. They're not stepping away. I'm not stepping away. And so emotions are contagious. I said that a lot today. Emotions are contagious. Whatever people are putting out, other people are going to pick up. And so if people are operating from this place of fear, that's the culture man, I can't lose this job. Man, I can't step away. Man, so-and-so's watching. Man, my boss doesn't go do that. If I want his job, I better stay nose down. Simon Sinek gets that too. We, we always, we're big Simon Sinek fans, obviously. But he hits the whole thing, creating a culture of trust mm-hmm. where people can be, feel safe enough and not be at risk to lose their job to be able to communicate that. Hey, I'd like to participate, but and we see that with safety too, don't we? Yeah, I think that's part of the culture of safety. There's two pieces that exist out there. And the the first is we've always done it this way, so we're going to continue doing it this way. And the second thing is what gets measured is what gets done. And so health and wellness or safety may be the flavor of the month in the employee's eyes initially, and they might get engaged with it. But at the end of the month, what is the boss pushing and what are they talking about? And it's what gets measured. And if it's only quantity and quality, subconsciously, they start to throw those things out and don't get engaged with pieces. And I think ceremonies... And rituals. There's an author named Nancy Duarte. He's a communication specialist. And she talks about the power of rituals and ceremonies. And at first I read that and I was like, eh, because I've never been a big fan of a lot of them. But as I see, you know, even some of the research that shows, you know, we might do like a Biggest Loser event. It'll have initial pop and then it'll kind of fade out. So there has to be more than events, but events are great ceremonies or rituals to kind of get everyone together, have that challenger contest to spark it off. What are some other ways that we can take the momentum from that event and kind of deeply root it in our culture? I like events because they're safe. People can kind of do a drive-by at the event and be like, do I want to engage? Okay, I guess I will. So they go to the event, they have a good experience. What's next? 
Is that what you're asking? Yeah. How do we take the momentum from that event and now make that a foundation stone or take the momentum we get? Okay, we got people's attention. They're engaging us in regards to health and wellness at work. Mm-hmm. How do we take that and root it deeper in our culture? What's the next step after? Let's say, okay, I hear a lot of people say, well, we're going to have our biggest loser thing, New Year's, because that's when everyone goes on a diet. We're going to do a little you know, weight loss. Whoever loses the most weight by March wins a prize. And then everyone gets excited that first month and you see the kind of participation dip down. But where do we go once March comes? Sure. So one of the things we talked about today is consistency is king and removing uncertainty. We know from a consumer perspective that a confused buyer doesn't buy. I also say a confused employee doesn't engage. That's really good. And I hear things like, well, I think we have a wellness program or I think we have a safety program. But I don't know. It's been a while since we did anything. And, you know, it was last fall and I don't know what's next. And there's just a lot of like on the fence. And when people are ambivalent, they're not primed for change. They're going to sit on that fence. They're not going to get over it. So one of the things we talked about is consistency and programming. I would rather see you do two things in excellence, one in January and one in June and nail it then I would rather see all these things thrown at the wall that are like meh and not well received. So consistency is king. It removes uncertainty. Casting what's to come so that people can start to decide. Let's be honest. People with the stages of change, they're in contemplation sometimes, right? Like they're thinking about engaging. And if you can show them what's to come and exude excitement and enthusiasm and value, then I would argue they'll come on board more readily. So it's part of that planning phase you talked about. It isn't let's just plan the first event. It's planning how this is going to continue to drive. And unfold. And unfold and continue to have that available so that you're saying, okay, we did this, but here's what's coming up. And even if it's six months down the road, here's what we did, here's what we learned, here's what we're driving towards. And when we get six months down the road, this will be the next event to look forward to. Yes. And what I see happen is people start small, which is great. We're going to do this thing once a year. Now we're going to do this thing twice a year. We're going to do this thing quarterly. Now my programs are such, my clients that have been with me for 12 years, that yes, there's those annual, biannual, quarterly offerings, but then it's every Thursday morning, this happens. Every Wednesday after work, this happens. And we get to layer in more frequent experiences as well once we have proof of concept. So this has been really good information, and I think it gives our listeners a lot to think about. But I like to end a lot of our programs with this. What are the first three steps they need to take? If you were met somebody out on the town tonight, you're talking about your business and what you do and health and wellness, and they're like, I'm going back to work tomorrow and we're going to start kicking off some things. What are the first three steps they take? I'm going to be kind of a hippie with my first one. So what I hear people say is they need permission from someone else or they need buy-in or they need approval. And I'm going to say, number one, you get to step into your power. And what can you do? As an individual contributor, you might not determine the budget. You might not have all the powers that be at that workplace, but you have some power. So how are you going to show up better or different or take the lead to get the ball rolling? Because again, emotions are contagious. So you be the change you want to see is number one. Number two, I would get people in the right seat. You know, get the people at the table who need to see value in the program. So I just have really found that if you don't have department leadership there, seeing the value of how this is going to shape their team members from a performance perspective, because everybody wants high-performing employees. So if you get everybody to the table and say, our goal is high-performing, safe, healthy, happy employees, 
Who's going to say no? So using some of those keywords to get them to the table yeah. to have this initial Who's going to say no to that? Then get out of here, you know? Come on, Downer Dan. So we need to cast the vision a little better, let them see the value, and come up with a plan. So you mentioned like positional authority, bringing them at the table, which we all believe is important. But I've noticed sometimes in some cultures, there's like this one tow motor guy. Let's call him Bob. Bob. It's always Bob. It's always Bob. So Bob, whatever he says goes. He's not a supervisor. He's just a guy that has a lot of influence. Mm. And so if Bob isn't sold on the program, one or two comments round from Bob will cause an entire shift of the department not to take it seriously or engage. But if Bob is convinced and, and starts talking positively about the program, it, it seems like that whole floor area comes in, he's more of an influencer, doesn't have position. Is there any room at the table for that? And if, if so, how do we begin to recognize who the key influencers are in our workplace to be able to give them a seat at the table to help sell this program? Yeah, I mean, anything's possible. It's, I see a lot of dysfunctional wellness committees. Absolutely. <laughs> is what I'm saying. And you get there are safety committees and probably anything else in there, right? Right. Absolutely. And so what I'm trying to avoid is getting people at the table that don't have interest, enthusiasm, or any area of expertise to add to the conversation. And I just see sometimes people kind of assigned the role, and then they're not adding to the conversation. So I just really want to make sure that the people that are contributing to the program want to be there and are seeing the value in it. Again, because it's so easy to switch to the negative or to be Downer Dan or Debbie Downer about it. And and we need people that get it. It's a big thing to sell. So we need people that already get it. And if not, we're going to help them create value by weighing in on the strategy. I think my third recommendation would be to look for some partnership with other functions in the business. So one thing I talked about today is looking at your safety team or looking at your training and development folks, or looking at your external communications folks and saying, hey, there are some cool things we could do together. You know, how can we support each other? Because there are some really nice tie-ins with other parts of the business. And like I mentioned earlier, you already have a way to train people. So let's use that same way and focus on health and wellness. So we start to find some of those internal connections Mm -hmm. of how we're going to push this program out. And really make it a corporate buy-in and a corporate program so that you have all divisions committed to it. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot of groups have training, they have onboarding, they have development days, those types of things. So let's leverage those. All right. Well, thank you, Katie, so much for doing this podcast with us and presenting at the 2019 Wellness Conference. Carrie and Mike, thank you for being part of this also. And everyone, be safe. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.